just want to say again, welcome. <laughs> All right. Hey, go ahead, grab a Bible with me. Open up to Luke 15, if you would. So good to see you and love seeing, again, all the, all the greeting going on out there. Sometimes the church greeting time can be awkward and uncomfortable, but you guys were rocking it. You guys were jumping in. It was awesome. It was, couldn't, couldn't stop you. It was great. So really glad that you're here. And, and Lee just talked about it a bunch, but I just want to say again how special this past week was, how grateful I am for you. And it was just such a joy to be here each day and see so many of your faces, how, how many of you were serving and contributing and making uh, VBS happen. It was, my heart was full. It was really fun. And um, a huge shout out to Pastor Lee, of course, for just spearheading it all. I don't know if he's still in here or where he went, but yeah, he just put in a lot of work to make it happen. So it was a great week. Anyways, um, let me pray for us now as we focus uh, on God's word together. And then we'll jump in. Father, we love you and we are so grateful to be here again as a church to worship you uh, through singing and uh, in prayer and celebration as we think about this past week and now, Lord, by turning to your word. And so we just pray for your help. We ask you to come and guide us, teach us. Holy Spirit, would you uh, convict our hearts where we need convicting and comfort and encourage our hearts where we need comforting. We just pray that you would do your work here this morning. Uh, we love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, hey, Luke 15, verse 11 is where we're going to be. So if you need a Bible, there's some in the seats in front of you, or you can follow along on your smartphone or other device. However you want to get there, we're in week three now of our summer series that we're calling Parables, where we're just taking uh, the parables of Jesus, these different stories that Jesus told that had truths, lessons he was trying to teach us about God, about life, about people, about ourselves. And we're just uh, one at a time, although the first parable we've been looking at, this is now going to be our third week in it. So after this, we'll just spend one week on a different parable each time. But today is week three, not only of our parable series, but of the prodigal son. We've been looking at the same story now for uh, the third week in a row. And I know you're wondering, we've spent two full Sundays already on this parable. How much more could there be to say? Well, we're about to find out, aren't we? <laughs> We are about to find out. Week one, if you weren't here, was uh, kind of an overview where we just looked at uh, the whole parable and talked about the different parts and kind of walked through the whole thing. And then last week was our second week, and we kind of zoomed in on the older brother in the story towards the end of the parable. And we looked at, okay, what's going on in his heart? What is Jesus trying to tell us through the older brother? And today we're going to zoom out a little bit and think about how does this story fit into the bigger picture of Scripture. The, the bigger story that God is telling, how does this story connect us to that? So that's where we'll be today. But I've noticed uh, everyone seems to have a different tolerance level for being away from home. Okay, Everyone has a different tolerance level for being away from home. Some of us are away from home tolerance 
is pretty low, okay? We like to call ourselves homebodies. We don't like to go out a ton. We like our own couch, our own bed, our own town. We'll go on vacation, but it doesn't take long to get tired and just want to go home, right? Can anyone relate to being a homebody with a pretty low away from home tolerance? Okay, all right. And then there are some people, some people are, have a high away from home tolerance, right? Where you love to travel and adventure and go and see things. And if you're not out and about, you get a little restless, right? You just love being on the road. Anybody? One of, one of those people with a high away from home tolerance? All right. Adventurers, sightseers. Great. Take a minute. Well, actually, no. Before you do that, whether you have a high away from home tolerance or a low away from home tolerance, there reaches a point where we all eventually want to go home, right? Like, even if you love to travel, there's eventually comes a moment where you're like, man, I really, I'm ready to go home. I'd, I'd like to be back in my own house, right? Eventually. So, I'd love for you to share with someone around you, what are those things from home that you miss when you're away? Whether you're a low tolerance or a high tolerance away from home person, what are those things that you're like, you long for when you're not at home? Take a second, turn to someone next to you, share it really briefly. So I imagine some of you were sharing probably something about people, the people at home, whether it's kids, spouse, friends, neighbors, your church, yeah? Maybe you shared about food, food you have at home. Maybe it was your, your couch. You love your couch or that special chair in your living room. You just want to go home and read a good book there, something along those lines. Okay, there could be any number of things, but home is a powerful picture in our hearts, isn't it? We all experience this longing to be at home sometimes because home is a place of rest. Hopefully it's a place where we know that we belong. It's a place that's comfortable. Hopefully where we feel safe. That's what home ought to be. We know it's not always that way for everyone. If we've experienced, though, this type of home, a good home, then we long for it. And if we've moved around a lot, maybe we don't have somewhere that we consider home or the home we're in doesn't always feel safe. That can be a really hard thing for someone to go through when they lose a sense of home. And so either way, the idea of home is really significant in our hearts as people. And this parable from Luke 15 talks about home. It talks about the theme of leaving home, of returning home, and it shows us what home is like. And it has a lot to tell us about the human heart and our desire for home. And so I want to look at that together now in verse 11. Look at how Jesus starts the parable. 
Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so we have this story of a son leaving home and finding himself in a pretty bad situation. He's in quite a mess, actually. He's desperate. He begins to be in need. And if you're familiar with the storyline of the Bible, then maybe you recognize that this story that Jesus is telling is not isolated. It doesn't stand alone. It actually is connected to the bigger story that God is telling. And so the prodigal son parable in Luke 15 is not just about a few wayward individuals. It's actually telling us the whole story of humanity and the human condition. If we look back to how the Bible starts, the first few pages of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we see it talks about our original home. We had a beautiful home. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So the Bible starts by telling us that we had a beautiful home. God created all things and he created us as human beings, Adam and Eve, in his own image, unique, and given a special privilege and responsibility of stewarding all that God had made, being responsible to see all of life flourish, the plants and the animals, creatures on the land and in the sea, everything was under our care to cultivate it and to see this earth, this world become what God desired it to be. And God saw all of this and said it was very good. But the story doesn't end there, right? As we read on just a few more pages, if we turn to Genesis chapter 3, we see that something terrible happens. Adam and Eve disobey God. They rebel against God. They want to do things their own way. And so they sin. And so sin enters the picture. And with it brings death and decay and destruction. It wreaks havoc in God's good world. And we see the effects of that immediately as their relationship with God is broken, their relationship with one another 
is broken. Their relationship, even with the material world, is now strained and broken. And it eventually gets to the place in verse 23 of chapter 3 where it says this, So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And so Adam and Eve leave the garden. They leave their home. And all future generations, including us now, have lost the garden. We've lost this true sense of home. And so if we think about that in relation to Luke 15, we can all relate to the younger brother who left home. And because of sin, we've wandered away and found ourselves lost and in need, in need of being reconciled with the Father. And so this is the story of all humanity, not just a couple wayward individuals. C.S. Lewis talks about our sense of spiritual homesickness when he says this, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we've always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. It says this longing for home that we have is there for a reason. That's actually telling us something about the human condition. Right, that feeling that we all can relate to, that things aren't as they should be. Right? Things are not as they should be in the world. And maybe in my life, in my family, in our city, in our country, in our world, things are off. And one way the Bible explains that is by talking about sin and this theme of, of exile, that we are away from home and we're longing for our true home to be restored. We're longing to be in relationship with God. We're longing to see the world around us more reflect the heart of God. And we get tastes of home, right? We get a sense of belonging at times with different people or different places. We have moments and maybe great dinner parties with friends and family that we just don't want to end because there's so much joy there and love and, and laughter. And so we get these glimpses of home, of things maybe how we wish they always were, but they're always fleeting and they never quite last. And so if this is true, that we had a beautiful home and we left it, and we're longing for it to be restored, then that should make us wonder, how do we get home? Right? How is humanity restored? How can we individually return home? Now, there's actually a, a clue here, a pretty big clue in the parable, in Luke 15, because something is missing from the story. Something's missing from the parable of the prodigal son. And in order to understand this, we need to think about the context of Luke 15. Right? There's three different parables in the chapter. If you look back, if you have it opened in front of you again, you can see there's three different ones. And the first is, again, a parable about a lost sheep. 
And then there's a parable about a lost coin. And then there's our parable about two lost sons. And so think about the connection there. In all three parables, something is lost. Right? A sheep, a coin, a son. In all three, actually two sons, something is lost. But notice what happens in the first two. Verse 3 of chapter 15. It says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And Luke 15, verse 8, the second parable. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? So with the sheep and the coin, something is lost. And then someone goes and finds it. Right? Something is lost. Someone goes and finds it. Something is lost. Someone goes and finds it. And so we would think then when we get to this third parable where a son now is lost, we would expect someone to go and find him. That's been the pattern, right? Someone should go and find him and bring him home. But that doesn't happen. No one goes after him in the story. That should stand out. It's kind of odd. An interesting omission. See, what we should expect is the older brother to go and find his younger brother and bring him home. I mean, isn't that what a good older brother would do? Sometimes older brothers get their siblings into mischief, right? (laughs) Get them into trouble. But good older brothers also protect their siblings who are younger, and they get them out of trouble. That's what good older brothers do. If you've been watching the show This Is Us on TV, then you've seen an example of this. Full disclosure, oh, sorry. Don't love the show. I know it's, it's a big phenomenon right now. I'm not a huge fan of the show. We watch it, but it, it's, it's okay. But if you watch and you love it, that's, I, still, I love you, that's great. But this example, you it, this example is too good to pass up, okay? In the story, there's this, uh, one of the main characters it flashes back to when he was young and the Vietnam War was going on, and his younger brother is kind of troubled in a number of different ways, and his younger brother gets drafted to go to war. You guys remember that? Okay. He gets drafted, he goes to war, and the older brother is worried about him. He doesn't know how he's going to do. He's really scared for his safety, doesn't think things are going to go well. And so he enlists in the army, even though he has some health issues and things that should prevent him from being there. He goes anyways, he finds a way, and he goes, and he finds his younger brother, and he becomes kind of like the the captain, the leader of their little regiment of the army, and he watches over his younger brother and does everything that he can to keep him safe. And it's a really moving picture of sacrifice, of willingness to go to risk your own safety, to risk your own health, so that he could care for his younger brother. Even if the show is mediocre and drives you crazy in different ways, that picture is beautiful and the perfect picture of what an older brother should do. But the older brother in Luke 15 is not a good older brother. 
He's not a good older brother. He's bitter. He's self-righteous. He has disdain for his younger brother. He's too busy being frustrated about how his younger brother is doing things he shouldn't be doing, that he can't focus enough on being a good older brother and doing what he should have done. And that was leaving home, finding his younger brother, and bringing him home, and helping him be reinstated into the family, which would be costly for him. Not only his own safety, but think about it. The younger son, he's went off and he's squandered all of his money, his inheritance from his father. He spent it all. It's all gone. And so the only family wealth and land and money that's left belongs to the older brother. And so for the younger brother to be reinstated fully into the family as a son would come at great cost to the older brother because now, again, a portion of what was his is taken from him and now given to the younger brother. So this parable needed a good older brother. This younger brother needed a good older brother, but it didn't get one. He didn't get one. But the world has received a good older brother in Jesus. Again, the world has received the older brother we needed in Jesus. Jesus himself says, in Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why we sing songs like we did this morning. I was lost, but Jesus, you found me. You sought me. You came after me. John 1, 14 tells us that the Word became flesh. The eternal God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came. He left home to bring us home. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in Excuse me, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so this text tells us that Jesus, being in very nature God, fully God, did not consider his identity as God something to hold him back from coming to save us. He didn't think about his rights and privileges to be treated as God as something to cling to. But rather, he came to us, fully God, born as a man, and walked among us. He emptied himself of the rights and privileges, being safe in heaven, and he came and he died for you and for me. And so a good older brother was missing in the parable, but we have a good older brother in Jesus. And I don't mean a good older brother in the sense that he was just a man. He was fully God and fully man. But it's through Jesus that we can come home. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself 
through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself. He's bringing all the younger brothers home. How? In Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Right? And so there's the heart of the gospel. We've been separated from God by our sin, by our rebellion. We've turned from him. We were dead in our sin. We were lost. We were away from home. But God, in his grace and in his love, has made a way for us to come home. And he's reconciled us to himself through Christ, through Jesus. His death on the cross for our sins. His resurrection. We, through faith in him, can be forgiven of our sins, restored to a relationship with God, given new hearts and new life with him, both now and forever. We can come home. And just as this would have been costly for an older brother in the parable to invite his younger brother home, it was costly for Jesus. Again, it cost his life. He gave himself up for us by dying on a cross. And so it reminds us that this salvation, this homecoming, is, is no work of our own. It's not something we earn. It's not something we deserve, like we sang earlier. But God freely gives it to us because of his grace and his love. And so we've looked at, this morning, our longing for home in the human heart. We've looked at how we come home. This passage also talks about the idea of what does home look like when we get there, when we come home back to God, what does that look like? What does it mean to be saved? This is soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. What does that mean? What does that look like? The text actually gives us a few clues. And the first is that salvation is relational. It's relational. It's personal. You see this in the text. Luke 15, verse 21. The younger son, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And then later, verse 31, if you look ahead, as he's talking to his older son, he says, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. And so you see this relational language. First, this embrace, right? The father wraps him up in a big bear hug and says, welcome home. And he kisses the younger son. The older son, he says, you are always with me. You're with me. There's this relational language. There's clearly this personal connection that you are not coming home as a, a hired hand, as a worker, as a servant. No, you're coming home as a son, as a daughter of God. And see, too often, we think about salvation in kind of transactional terms, purely transactional terms. We pray a prayer, a debt is paid, we're good 
to go. I'm in the clear. I'm in the camp. And I'm just going to go and live my life now. But what Jesus offers us, if we really grasp the heart of this parable, what he offers us is much more than just a transactional view of salvation. It's a relationship with the God who made us and the God who loves us. This is an invitation for every one of us, for you, for you, for you, for you, and for me. God loves you in a, in a personal way. It's not just God loves the world in general, but God loves individual people. God's love and invitation and his calling is on your life. And he invites you to trust in him. He wants to wrap his arms around you, welcome you home. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about my, my daughter, Zoe, this week. And she doesn't, well, she's only two years old, so I don't know how much of this she comprehends, but she doesn't just think about our family probably in general terms. Right? I wouldn't want her to think about, oh yeah, I'm a part of the Scrabeck family, but you know, do I really know my dad? Do I really know my mom? Do I really have much of a relationship with them? Like, that would be strange if she was like, I'm a Scrabeck, but that whole like, relationship with mom, relationship with dad isn't really there. That wouldn't be the full picture of, of family and belonging. And so with the Lord, it's not just he loves us in general, or we're just, yeah, part of this big family of God in general. Again, there's this personal relationship with the Father that we all can have to truly know our Father and have him know us. And so through this relationship, we get a taste of home, right? Both now, and then one day we'll experience it in full as Jesus returns and restores all things, and we have eternity with God. And with this, I do want to talk briefly about the importance of, of baptism, right? If we're talking about a personal uh, relationship with God. Baptism is a really important way that we take a step of faith, a step of obedience, and tell the world, I am following Jesus. And it's one of the most clear and vivid ways we can represent that to our church, to our family, to say, I am identifying publicly with Jesus. He is my Lord and Savior. It's a command that Jesus gives to all his disciples to be baptized. And so if you are walking with Jesus and haven't been baptized, I would really encourage you to consider that step as, again, a, a personal response saying, this is for me, not just a general salvation. This is what God has done in my life. I would love to talk with you more about that if you, if you want to explore that a bit more. On your connection card, there's a box that talks about baptism. You can check that box. We'd love to follow up with you and tell you a bit more about that. So the parable shows us salvation is relational. It also shows us that salvation is transformative, right? Look at the language used in verse 32. The father says to his older son, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He's gone from death to life. He was lost and is found. And so we're not talking about like a marginal difference in his life. Like a little bit changed. No, it's death to life. Stark contrast, complete opposites. Right? This isn't called the parable of the 
pretty good person. Or the parable of the son who had it mostly together. And then their life got cleaned up a little bit, you know? No, it's in the parable, a son is lost, is gone, is away from home, is, is desperate. That's the picture Jesus gives us. And that's why we celebrate Jesus so much. That's why we make much of Jesus and talk often about Jesus in the gospel, because we know where we would be without him. We know how much of a difference he has made in our lives. And see, our understanding of sin and our own need before God is directly related to our appreciation and our gratitude for the salvation God has provided, right? Our awareness of sin and our need before God is directly related to our appreciation for salvation, our gratitude for what Jesus has done. If sin is like no big deal, I wasn't that desperate, I was a pretty good person, just need to get cleaned up a little bit, then we're not going to make that much of Jesus. We're not going to really celebrate who Jesus is and what he's provided. But if we were lost, if we were dead in sin, if we were without hope on our own, and Jesus came and he saved us, and he rescued us, and he restored us, and he brought us home, then our hearts will be full with gratitude for what Jesus has done. And so we should ask ourselves and and consider what would my life now and eternity look like without Jesus? And what is it like now and forever because of Jesus? And how we answer those questions will tell us a lot about how much we've really grasped the gospel and what scripture tells us about the human condition and about who Jesus is and what he has done. Is it just okay to good, good to great, marginal to okay, or as the passage says, death to life, lost to found? Lastly, this parable tells us that salvation, coming home, is like a feast. And I love this part. This is great. Verse 22, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on and put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. In verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. It's a beautiful picture party's going on. They're celebrating, they're feasting, they're eating, they're dancing. That's good news for us because we, we like to eat around here, don't we? <laughs> and I like the idea of dancing, but the mechanics aren't always great for me, just being honest. But dancing, I love it when people are dancing, music in the air, it's festive, it's great, people are singing, there's still a celebration going on. It's fantastic to see that. I love being in an environment like that. It's full of joy and celebration. And so that's the picture we get at the end of this story when he comes home. Not to say, glad you're home, son. Get to work. 
See you around. It's like, no, we're throwing a party. We're celebrating how good the Father is. We're eating good food. We're dancing. We're laughing together. This is such a beautiful picture because honestly, growing up, eternal life sometimes came off a little boring or a little like, what are we even going to be doing? Like, I know it's better than hell. I know it's better than judgment. But like, what's, what's it even going to look like? Just honestly, that, that's just where I was. And it's not that compelling of a picture. But when we look at Scripture, it is an incredibly compelling picture, an incredibly captivating scene that we have to look forward to, a feast, a celebration, a party, joy, laughter with God, with others. It is good as God will come and redeem his world, restore things to how they are intended to be, wipe away every tear, we'll eat and laugh and sing and explore and adventure. And we get little, again, glimpses in Scripture of what that'll be like. And this is one of them. It's festive. It's a party. And so, it's important for us to want to see a bit of that now, again, joy in our lives, that the Christian life is not just about a list of propositions that we affirm, right? We give mental assent to these truths, and that's what it means to be a Christian. And I would definitely say it's not less than that. Of course there are mental, there are truths, propositions that we affirm as Christians about who Jesus is and who God is and who we are and uh, what life is about. Of course we affirm truths. But it's not just, hey, sign off on this list. Okay, you're in the door. There's this experiential nature to our faith where we don't just sign off on some list of truths. We enter a relationship with God. Right? We can know God. We can walk with Him. Have Him present in our lives. A transformed heart. See, famous Puritan Jonathan Edwards explained that there's a difference between knowing that honey is sweet and having the actual sense of its sweetness. There's a difference between knowing a fact about honey and tasting honey. There's a big difference. And so with God, we don't just know information about God or affirm certain truths about him. We, we do that. But we also can taste and see and, and experience with our hearts who God is and what that looks like in our lives. And so, as we close our study in this parable, we spent three weeks now in the parable of the prodigal son. Again, the simplest takeaway from it is an invitation, right? An invitation to come home to the love of the Father. Whether we're younger sons, younger brothers, whether we're older brothers, Somewhere in between. God invites us to come home, to know him, to experience his goodness and joy, and we can come home through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to rescue us you came to seek and save the lost. You came to bring us home 
because we could not save ourselves. We were lost and desperate without you. But Jesus, you died for us. And through faith, we're united to you and can come home to our Father. So we thank you, we praise you. Lord, I pray for my friends here this morning, especially if there's anyone who has not made that decision to trust you yet. I pray that you would be at work in their heart. Help them, Lord, respond to you with a simple prayer of faith to begin their walk with you. Jesus, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.